Hello, and welcome back to the Women's Soccer Podcast. For those who do not know, I am your host, Liam Greco, but you may know me better as LTG. Today, we have a very exciting episode on our hands, which is our second episode revolving the 2023 Women's World Cup. These are our top 10 storylines for the 2023 Women's World Cup. There are no particular order, but they will be very important for you to understand as a casual or complex or very hardcore fan as you're going into this 2023 World Cup. So without further ado, let's get started in this episode. A home World Cup can have a significant impact on any country, but this World Cup will be very big for many different reasons, which we'll t- some of which we'll talk about later, for the continent of Oceania. But zooming in on the Matildas, this will, this will provide numerous opportunities on the business side and on the field product for Australian women's football to thrive specifically. A star striker, Samantha Kerr, will be able to shine this summer on her home turf. You may ask, why is this such an important piece? Well, the Australian women's national team has not had many opportunities to play home matches in big events. This is the first ever big event in Australia for, there's never been a Women's World Cup here. So for Kerr, this is going to be a very great opportunity for her and Australia's other stars to shine and home field this summer. The World Cup will also contribute to the growth of fan bases in both for the both the Matildas and the domestic league. The Matildas are a very famous women's football side, being one of the most rena- being renowned for being one of the better ones, as they have consistently stayed in the top ten of the FIFA Women's World Rankings. Um, but their their fan their fan base will continuously grow throughout this Women's World Cup. An implication of this is that, as we've seen, is in their pre-World Cup friendly against France, they got their record attendance of over 50,000 fans. This illustrates how the growth of women's soccer will be by providing opportunities for it to be more visible, and by having the Women's World Cup in Australia, the Matildas will be able to thrive, alongside with how the New Zealand football fans will also be able to thrive for their matches. Um, my last point about this topic is that the growth in the domestic league for the A-League Women League, um, it is not the biggest women's soccer league in the world. It's one of the smaller ones. Um, it doesn't necessarily have many superstar international players besides in Australia and New Zealand, but the, this opportunity with the A-League um, being able to get more visibility through the Women's World Cup, which we, another example of this, like the visibility that has been provided by a big tournament is in England. So the Women's Super League is England's top flight women's soccer league there. And they had the Women's Zeros last summer, which were a renowning success over a sellout crowd at Wembley for the final match where England beat Germany. And so the, the Women's Super League's average attendance was less than 2,000 fans a game before the Euros. And sources such as Forbes Business has reported that that has grown by over 267%. In other words, the revenue has grown by 267% as ticket prices have probably even more than that because ticket prices have also expanded. A Home World Cup wouldn't just boost the Matildas, it would also boost the A-League, which has teams in both Australia and New Zealand, the co-hosts of this competition. IR attendance doesn't just put more people in the stands. That is a benefit of having a better attendance, but it will also help the cash flow of the league and allow more profit, which leads to investment. 
as we've seen in the domestic leaves of other countries, investment equals success, not just on the field, but also off the field, which is really crucial for women's sports because women's sports is still in a growing period. And the more investment and visibility that they get, it helps grow the world tr- world's biggest game on the men's side tremendously for the women's game as well, which is why this World Cup, another reason why this World Cup will have tremendous benefits for the A-League. Club leagues are where teams develop their the, their country's most prized gems or jewels, per se, um, to give an analogy. You can see this in the Women's Soccer League in America, which is the National Women's Soccer League, which is one of the most renowned leagues in the world, along with England's League, the Women's Super League. All of these leagues have something in common, and that is teams have academies, or in America we have the collegiate college system, which grows players. And the more investment in these leagues gives more investment to the future of these national teams, which is why having the investment in these leagues is so essential, as it will help to develop players, not just the current Matildas, but coming out of just Australia, we should probably talk about how this is a monumental event for the continent of Oceania. Oceania is maybe sometimes disregarded, besides the fact they have beautiful islands and beautiful oceans, but um, this is the first time that there's ever been a male or female World Cup at in the continent of Oceania, and this co-hosted Australian New Zealand World Cup will not just provide great stuff on the field for these two co- countries it will also provide off the field monetization as the the hotels and the economy of these two countries will certainly rise and make a lot of revenue off of this world cup through restaurants hotels ticket prices etc the countries of australia and new zealand will most certainly benefit from this tournament this is also the first time a women's world cup has been co-hosted and even though australia is significantly bigger than New Zealand. Each country will have four groups playing it and the matches will be split with the final being played in Australia. So it's interesting to see how typically um, when co-hosts, countries co-host, they usually imbalance the amount of matches played with each other. But this this is the first ever time that a Women's World Cup has been co-hosted and it's the fir- and even though one country is significantly larger than the other, they're still getting four groups each, which is going to be really nice to watch and see the growth of women's soccer in both in Australia and New Zealand this summer due to the World Cup. My first two segments have focused on the effects of this World Cup on Australia and the continent of Oceania as a whole, but let's look at the on-the-field play. Injuries, injuries, injuries. The ACL injuries are most certainly alive in women's soccer with so many with so many incredible stars out from this world cup due to them Kristen press katarina macario beth mead vivian miedema just to name a few players who have suffered the drastic injury that has caused so many incredible top tier players to miss this tournament what is the solution you may be asking well the problems of these acl injuries have been very common number one it's bio- biologically, women's bodies are more likely to suffer ACL injuries from non-contact injuries a few times more likely actually than men. So biologically, they're already at a disadvantage with injury prevention, which stinks for women's soccer. But the good news is that as more research be- continuously happens around these ACL injuries, we should be able to prevent these 
injuries from continuously happening by the 2027 Women's World Cup cycle, as that is a big concern for many people and how the women's game will react to the ACL injury problem that has been happening in general on all leagues and all domestically for clubs and internationally for other players' countries. Um, the two of the biggest other biggest causes besides the biological effects are playing on turf fields. Turf fields are just not as good as for players' bodies as experience. They may be more beautiful and may be easier to keep and cheaper. However, the artificial material is not good for players as um, sliding around on it. It just it's easier for players to twist a muscle or something and cause a very drastic injury. Most of the injuries in women's soccer that have been re- regarded as an ACL injury have occurred in turf fields. Number two, a lot of women, a lot of women's football boots are made for women's feet, but the science around those boots are revolving the men's football boots, which is another reason why these problems are happening. And the more research that has been done with women's as athletics and women's sports have continued to evolve, the less injuries are happening. For example, the, as we talked about, the biological differences between male and females are very different. So women need to have different training plans and different cleats. It's not better or worse. It's just how it depends on the body and the biological aspect of women's sports, which is why because the women's bodies are more injury, injury prone and because the cleats are specifically made scientific with the scientific research of a male's body, the cleats don't necessarily have the best, are not the best for a women's body, which is why as more research is done with women's football, the, these injuries should hopefully be able to be prevented by the next Women's World Cup cycle. The Spanish national team on paper were the clear favorites to win the World Cup. That is, however, before Las Quince became a huge thing in the media this month. A few months ago it was when it started, but 15 players removed themselves from selection for originally for February's international break, but many of them have continued to not allow any call-ups for the Spanish national team, which is most most a disappointment for all women soccer fans you know you would love to see the best players from every country be on the field especially with all the injuries it stinks to see so many great players not make the world cup because they withdrew from the roster which is really disappointing um players on that list included claudia pina one of the biggest prospects in women's soccer right now patrick guharo mappy leon um leila ohabi Sandra Panos, there's a very long list of those players who would have been key starters to the side that are not withdrawing themselves, that withdrew themselves from selection due to um, the reasons regarding the camp. So a few players on that list did return. Um, I re- Anita Bomati and... Um, yeah, that's that's it. Anita Bonmonti is and Lucia Garcia did not decide to call up. So yeah, it was but an Bonmonti, the twenty five year old Spanish midfielder, did decide to come back after the last quince de, um, situation. But 
that's going to be very big for the World Cup, and that's a very big storyline of players. Another instance of players feuding with their federations, and it's really disappointing that it had to end with some of the best players in the world not being able to participate at this Women's World Cup. But I understand, you know, the future of women's soccer is more important than one World Cup, and if changes need to be made, it's should they should be taking the precautions to do so as a football fan and as a fan of women's soccer as a whole it's disappointing but we understand i understand and i'm sure many other fans understand the reasoning behind these spanish players to not play at this summer's tournament this world cup may be focused on the stars but there are a lot of other stories that are just incredible to see how these players have come back to soccer Sinead farley is one player who really comes to mind when thinking about this um she was a player who came out about Paul Riley being abusive as a coach and she also her career ended in 2015 2016 excuse me because she was in a car crash which means she didn't get to play um for she hasn't been playing for seven six years she retired and she didn't play any matches which is really sad because she's such a great player and it's also really sad the way her career ended is really wrong and originally but the most heroic story ever is farley after having a long hiatus from soccer over six years she came back to soccer with gotham fc this season my hometown club after 11 appearances it was enough to earn farley a spot on the 2023 ireland roster so she had a hiatus for over six years and she got back in time for the Republic of, Republic of Ireland's roster for this summer's 2023 Women's World Cup. That is the most inspirational story in sports that there is. Um, a player who has gone through so much hardships, the car crash, as resources The Guardian has talked about, um, The Athletic talked about the harassment scandals, but, um, you know, she has a broken hand at this World Cup. She broke her hand from, um, during an end of cell match, an end of cell match, so she um she like she was in a car accident which caused her to retire, and it was she got to come back to um after two thousand seven hundred sixty seven days she came back to playing professional soccer, and after that she um she went. Through, she's announced the nationality change from the United States to Ireland. And, um, like, it's just such an incredible story how she's overcome so much. And it shows, like, this is a very cliche dream, but this is a very, very cliche statement, but you can never give up on your dreams. And hard work and dedication can get you there. And, you know, she worked so hard to get back on Gotham's, get an NWSL spot with Gotham, and then that hard work translated to an U.S. Women's, uh, Ireland national team spot for this World Cup. So that's just a story that, I don't know, I found it really inspirational. I hope you did as well, because she worked so hard for it and has endured so much from the car cash to coaches, the, co- the harassment from coach former her former coach Paul Riley and it's just such an incredible story that she was able to climb that you know mountain back to soccer after being away for six years and not just get back to NBSL but play at such a high level that she would make a national team at this world cup is just incredible and yeah so that's just a story I wanted to talk about now let's move on to the next segment of this podcast every single athlete in the sport 
helps to shape the movement. And women's soccer, a sport that has evolved over the course of many of these players' careers, they these three players that I'm going to talk about today, these are the backbone of soccer. Megan Rapino, Marta, and Christine Sinclair. Well, Sinclair took a break from international soccer of Canada. The 40... The, the, the Canadian superstar came back to playing after the break um, with the national team and she has thrived since she comes back in a more bench role you know she's 40 years old now so she's taking a different role with the squad she'll um but she's still just in her in what will most likely be her last world cup after 190 international gold that is the most international goal scored by a male or female soccer player of all time in 323 appearances sinclair is a legend of the game no one can just disagree with that statement 190 goals i'd like to repeat that that is the most ever scored internet for international soccer for men or women so that you know she is so incredible and i think it's just so awesome to see how this you know might be maybe it'll be her last call at 40 maybe she'll do another one who knows um her contract with the her her portland horns team runs out this year so we'll see if she continues to play but you know She's just a legend of the game of soccer, and it's incredible to see how she's constantly um, killing it and crushing it in the NWSL um, and internationally for soccer. So I think for Sinclair, this is going to be a great moment for her to get a chance to, you know, her final last run with the national team which should be really fun. Um, moving on to another player, Megan Rapino recently announced in a press conference for the U.S. Women's National Team that this will be her last World Cup at 38 years old. She's played in multiple World Cups before. She's been, she's played, her next match will be her 200th appearance for the U.S. Women's National Team. And she's a player who's not always been on the field, and she probably won't be the player who's on the field the most this tournament. But Rapino is a player um, that... It, she's not her values go far beyond um her to this u.s women's national team it goes far beyond her playing in minutes she's she's a winner she's a game changer off the bench no one can disagree with that people who say she shouldn't be on the roster are hypocrites frankly because Rapino is the reason why we won that fourth world cup last time around she is an awesome player a great role model for ki- children all around the world and Rapino is a player who can also just win games with three kicks or finish or finishes on penalties and I love how she watches um how like she watches the game so well and she makes so many great pass passes which is I just love watching Rapino play she her crossing abilities are so incredible she's just such a she's an inspirational role model player and I think that her career will leave a legacy not just on the field but also off the field how she helped shape the um shape the u.s women's national team's equal pay deal which i just think it's 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 so inspiring how she has done so much for women's soccer and the world of women's soccer that and this this world would not be the same if megan rapino was not a player in women's soccer and i stand by that statement she's so important and she works so hard every single day um to just make sure that her teams get better. And whenever she plays in matches, she always just helps her team get better. Um, And that's just such a great part of Rapino's game, which is why she's an inspiration for any soccer player 
on and off the field. And she's the reason why this U.S. team has been so successful. Last but definitely, definitely not least, Marta, the Brazilian superstar who has crushed every single team she's been against. She's a destroyer, an incredible player. The number 10 is a forward that you cannot miss on the field. The 37-year-old with silky smooth moves on the ball and on, on and off the ball. Her international career has gotten her 115 goals, which is the most all-time for Brazil. 115 goals and 174 international appearances. Her scoring record is immaculate. In 2004 to 2008, she scored 111 goals in 100 free appearances for Yumia in Sweden. Marta is one of the best players of all time in women's soccer. I think she's the GOAT of women's soccer and arguably even in men's soccer as well alongside Messi. You know, she's her ability to just dribble around whoever she wants and she can take on any player that she wants at a time. She's just such a great creative player who's also incredible in free kicks and set pieces. She can play like more up the field as a midfielder or attacking midfielder or striker, but um, watching her play in the midfield and dribble around players is so great. You know, whenever she's dribbling at a defender, you know that they're gonna lose that battle. She does not um, disappoint in her abilities to uh, make stuff happen on the field. Whenever you watch Marta, you're watching one of the greatest players of all time play soccer, and that is why she is so incredible to watch. And that's why all three of these players this one last dance for them, hopefully for their sake, that all three of their teams can go far because the even though Rapino has won World Cup, Sinclair and Marta haven't, and they both have had incredible careers that deserve that one last title for them that they can perhaps grab in Australia and New Zealand this summer. Another fun thing that has always great to look watch out is some of these friendlies before the World Cup. Is it like a sign to come of what's going to happen in the tournament? Is this just luck you know it's really anything can debate and there's been some matches that have been blowouts for instance spain beat vietnam nine to nil and japan beat panama five nil does that show that japan and spain are still strong sides even without many of their key players the u.s women's national team struggled to get past a weak wales without even wales were missing some of their best players the u.s national team looked frantic um lazy on the field to be quite honest they were not playing their best soccer Trittany Rodman saved them in that match uh another friendly that I thought was fascinating was the Australia beating France does this show that maybe France relies on a lot of their best players that they have not that will not have at this tournament no Maria Nekototo no Amandine Henry um a lot more names that you could look at there you know you, ha- you have to ask yourself, is this a sign to come of what's happened in these friendlies? And the one friendly that kind of startles me the most is Zambia beating Germany 3-2. And Germany was a team I had always seen the quality in that German side, um, which is why I was not shocked by Zambia's performance. I know they have many of talented players, including Barbara Banda, uh, many more you could name, like Rachel Kuhn. I, I'm not going to try and pronounce that. I will work on pronunciations as the World Cup goes on, I promise. But um, I was just kind of shocked with Germany's performance. I was less shocked with Zambia. I knew that they were very good. A lot of people were shocked about Zambia beating Germany. I was as well. But more because I thought Germany played very lackluster. They didn't really look dynamic in the final third in that game. I thought defensively they made a lot of errors that led to their goals. Uh, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see. Is the German side have what it takes to get their third World Cup title? Or are they just an older team that needs to give more opportunities to younger players that are on that roster that just maybe don't get enough playing time as they should?
But yeah, that's just something that really interests me is how this German team will adapt after having a poor um, result in those friendlies before the World Cup, which, as we talked about, those are just five of the many friendlies that have been going on. Those friendlies were just ones that stand out to me the most, but are these assigned to come at the World Cup? You, I guess we just have to wait and see and wait till the games start at the 2023 Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Another crazy narrative is the TV blackout scare that has been happening. FIFA threatened to black out the World Cup in Italy, France, Germany, Spain, and England if they did not make a respectable bid. And bids were rumored to be about only a few hundred thousand euros from certain countries, specifically Italy. And FIFA believed that they were undervaluing women's soccer. I don't really... um know about this one to be honest i do agree that those bids that were rumored were very low i think a fred and blackout is a little harsh i get it's a selling strategy for fifa to get those rights bought but i think for fifa they want the game to grow as much as we do i mean they've made some skeptical decisions in the past but fifa wouldn't they rather have people viewing the women's game than not viewing it at all the blackout made no sense i get that now you know tv rights have been secured in those countries but Oddly enough, Japan, who is a former World Cup champion, still does not have TV rights for this tournament along with the Philippines, which really is really sad, to be honest, because this is the world's biggest tournament. The World Cup is one of the world's biggest tournaments, and it's the biggest, the Women's World Cup is the biggest women's sporting event ever. So it really just, I don't get why they're wasn't better planning up front from these two nations why i i mean i would need some of my japanese and philippine viewers to explain to me why didn't this work out i don't get why they didn't get these rights i'm sure there's more behind the scenes that i am just not informed on but i think it just i don't know it just sits wrong with me that people from these countries will not have the easy ability to watch matches as they should this is the world cup you know it should be prime time and broadcasts in the world in the world's biggest stage it's the world's biggest stage for the players it should be presented like that to the fans so the tv block got scare i don't really know how to feel i feel about that um with it, the european countries with the asian countries in japan and philippines not having rights that just makes me so sad for those fans who deserve to be able to watch the matches just like us in america and the rest of the world have tv rights i'm just talking about america because i live here you know i know better about the tv broadcasters at fox and i know about other countries so yeah i think that it's just really sad to me that countries that worked so hard to qualify for this world cup will their fans will have a very hard time watching it unless they attend in person so yeah that's my segment on tv blackouts at this world cup this summer which was really disappointing for not just a few reasons but many reasons Upfin contenders for this Women's World Cup has increasingly grown, which is evident due to the success of numerous countries around the world, not just the U.S. and a few others, but dozens of countries have seen increased success in women's football. But my question for you is, do you think there's going to be a new World Cup champion? Um, There's plenty of contenders who could be new champions. Um, The England Lionesses have won the Women's Euros last summer proving that they can handle big tournament pressure. The only question is, can they get past the United States of America, which they failed to do at last Women's World Cup. Granted, they did beat the United States in a friendly match, which does not resemble any much, any near importance in relation to the World Cup, but that does prove that the Lionesses have what it takes to hang with the United States, and could that be what allows them to win their first ever Women's World Cup? 
Moving on to the United States, our neighbors in the United States, can the Canadians. The Canadians hosted the 2015 Women's World Cup and per- failed to make much noise there. However, with a new th- source of depth in the Canadian side, not always having Trelawney and Sinclair and young talent spread across the Europe's best top five leagues, will the Canadians have what it takes to win down under? The Canadian national team were drawn into a very tough group with the Australians, in my eyes, but the Canadians to have the talent and all across the pitch and the depth in, to win in a, this World Cup. But the question is, can they execute on the pitch? Brazilians will be saying farewell to Marta, but Mar- I like the Canadians. They will. Brazilians have in, had seen an increase depth, depth, such as Caroline, who's killing it in the NWSL right now, second in the Golden Boot race, alongside of um, Lif um, Dabinha, who's another incredible creative player that the Brazilians will have on their hands this summer. The, my question is, the, can the Brazilians finish games well, and can they produce a good defense that is strong enough to beat top sides like the Fran- French in the group stage? The Swedes have always had the reputation of doing very well in big tournaments, but never getting their hands in the final trophy. Will this summer, as they have a lot of their superstars aging, be the chance for the Swedes to get their hands on their first ever trophy? We'll see. The French side have been plagued with many different problems with injuries and absences, but will the, the will their will their depth and youth through their top club sides in Olympic Lyonnais and PSG provide this, the French team Les Blues to their first ever Women's World Cup championship after a failed try on home soil? We'll have to see this summer if they have the improved depth and have improved their side from now to the 2019 World Cup. There's a lot of great talent in this summer's World Cup, but who will be the side to lift it? Will it be a new champion? Wait and see, and let us know in the comments on our Instagram at the Women's Soccer Podcast to see who you think will win this summer's Women's World Cup. Winning one World Cup is hard enough, but the United States of America have proven how their dynasty in women's soccer can destroy the world, the world's best summer after summer every four years. There has never been to a... Tr- a, t- um, a team as dominant as the United States of America as they have won 50% of Women's World Cup so far. But my question is, will they be able to finish this summer after looking lackluster in previous matches with the team being depleted of talent and it, uh, due to injuries? That's my biggest question. The U.S. Women's National Team's depth has proven to be a success factor for them in previous World Cups, but this summer with the plague of injuries spreading for the United States squad along with many other women's soccer teams, do they have what it takes with a very, very young roster who, who is new to international competitions to c- hang around with some of the world's best established talents? That's my question. Winning f- two World Cups in a row is also very hard, but the United States have seemed to do that with ease. Well, however, this summer they will be going for the three-peat, which has never been done from any nations so far in a men's or women's World Cup competition. Summer fans and players of the red, white, and blue will witness the victory lap of Megan Rapinoe's historic career, paving the way for numerous athletes and younger future generations of women's soccer players, as we talked about earlier in this episode. But the question is, will Megan Rapinoe be able to lead this U.S. women's national team with her experience from a a role with less playing time and more leadership incorporated to their fifth World Cup and third consecutive? Well, we'll have to see if young talent Sophia Smith and Trittany Rodman can show up on the big stage like Mallory Swanson did a few summers ago in their open in 
U.S. is opening match. Will the United States be able to wave the, the ride the waves of the net Dutch side who have provided crafty talents over the years and challenged the United States in last in last women's world in the last women's world cup final will the United States be able to maintain their dynasty or is this the crashing of it and this will this be the last time we will ever see the United States compete for this world cup with the growth of talent overseas there's many different questions revolving this U.S. women's national team side this summer and I for one am very confident that we will be able to lead ourselves towards the three-peat and our next and our fifth world cup title however the, with the competition being much more intense the question is will they be able to ride the waves of other sides and destroy their competition like we are used to seeing to win their third thanks for listening to this episode and be sure to comment on our social media pa- page at the women's soccer podcast after following us there and here on apple Podcasts. we have plenty of special announcements coming soon and you're not going to want to miss a single one of them and following us on social media is the best way to stay up to date with the podcast we are trying to grow women's soccer through this podcast, especially through a younger audience. So by you following us on Instagram, you are helping build the next generation of women's soccer fans. Thank you so much for listening to this episode as this will help benefit our podcast and provide more information around the world about women's soccer. We really hope you enjoyed this episode as this, you know, was a hard episode to put put into place. I wasn't sure which 10 storylines to focus on. And I hope that you find these storylines very useful as you go into watching these very late matches if you are in the United States of America for this World Cup competition. Thanks for listening and peace out from your host, LDG.